Welcome to the Dystonia Matters podcast, the official podcast of Dystonia UK, where you will find members of the Dystonia community joining me, Dana Ferdinandi, as we settle down for an in-depth look at their journeys to diagnosis, how the dystonia affects their lives on a day-to-day basis, and what the future holds as our guests share their stories and experiences. We hope you enjoy listening. And with me today, I have the wonderful Danny, who who we met, Danny. When did we meet? We met in May. May, yes. May, wasn't it? It was May. And Danny is 22, so she is one of our younger supporters. And I'm so pleased and grateful that you could be with us today to share your story. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are very welcome. We've been attempting to get this podcast actually recorded for a little while, but we have the amazing Danny with us today, which is fabulous. So, Danny, share with us a little bit about your story. You have generalised dystonia? Yes, yes. So I have what I now know to be something called generalised clonus dystonia, which is essentially affects all the limbs in the body. And it has what they call lightning jerks, so I have jerky movements. But like when I was born, I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, which I now consider it as an umbrella term for a lot of movement disorders that go undiagnosed. And my relationship with that kind of label is still very hazy. But in the same breath, as yeah, that's what I perceive myself to have now is the dystonia. And I very much relate a lot more to that. But I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at the age of about three or four okay so really young really young yeah and I had it my whole life and the doctors like I went through a whole load of different kind of labels like dyspraxia they couldn't find anything wrong I had a lot of MRI scans when I was growing up and yeah so they couldn't find anything wrong and it wasn't until my mum actually researched and googled the symptoms of cerebral palsy that I was like that she just mentioned it to a doctor and said might this be it and they said you know what this is probably the closest we're going to get to any kind of formal label so let's just call it that and essentially call it a day so that was when you were four or five three or four years old but as you were growing up and I know this because you and I have spoken before but you didn't ever really feel comfortable with that label did you no okay so obviously I'm a huge advocate now for anyone with cerebral palsy I'm going to be the first one to go up to anyone and say introduce myself get to know them and and understand that everyone is essentially all the same and you can communicate with people in such different ways and in different levels and communicate in different ways but whenever I would picture the stigmatized label of what cerebral palsy was it wasn't what I perceived myself to be it was because I'm not in a wheelchair, I don't full body paralysis, I don't, I can run, I can, I'm very able and I'm very mobile with my body. Although I do have a lot of jerks, a lot of involuntary movements and spastic movements that might be considered in some people's eyes quite disabled, like medically. I never ever appreciated how the term cerebral palsy and so as I was growing up and it was like I have this thing that I just don't really want to share with anyone but it was really holding me back so 
my mum would have to go into school to talk to my teachers and just explain what was going on with me. And she had to do that until I was about, what, 16, 17, and I was able to do that myself. I'd come to just accept it for what it was and with some level of resentment towards it as well. But yeah. And so when did you get diagnosed? Because I think this has been quite recent, hasn't it, that you've been diagnosed with dystonia itself? It all ties back to the fact that I never really identified with cerebral palsy. And somewhere in my heart of hearts, I always thought it was something different. And so when I was 16, I I went out and I was just so angry with myself and the whole world and just had that little complex of like, why does it have to be me that has this silly thing? And so essentially what I set out to do was to Google and research as much as I could into every single kind of essentially movement disorder or something along the lines of dyskinesia, paroxysmal dyskinesia, dystonia, myoclonus, all of these words that I was coming across that had been completely foreign to me, but scientific studies, bearing in mind I was like 16 at the time, going trawling through the internet trying to find something that I actually identified with more than what I did with with cerebral palsy. And did you do that because you didn't identify? So did you sit there one day and go, do you know what, I think there's something more going on, I'm gonna see if I can find out what myself? Yes, and it was mainly because, and this all ties together, is because of the fact that also I really desperately, like more than anything else, wanted a cure for it. I really wanted to see if I could find something that would help me, that would make me feel relaxed, make me feel like I didn't have to constantly be sitting and having involuntary spasms and things like that. And so within that search I was also trying to find if there was other medications and things because at the age of 16 it isn't legal but I did try alcohol I as soon as I I had that first kind of feeling of just the the tension just essentially flowing out of your body and you just feeling absolutely at ease with no inhibitions or anything it just felt so so new and so good to me and I got really worried for a second because I was like if this is the only way out I don't know what's going to happen to me so that's where my kind of journey first began with trying to find something to quote-unquote cure my 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 disability yeah or what you thought would cure it at 16 right and yeah so that search began and I tried a lot of medication Essentially, I went to my, to my GP with a, like a, a stack of papers of things that I'd researched and things and said, listen, I think we should try this baclofen. Baclofen apparently helps for cerebral palsy as well as a lot of other. I, I went to him with so many names of different medications like baclofen, diazepam. And how did he react when you turned up with your wad of papers and said, I want to try all of these? Every one of them, right away. I just think that he was very overwhelmed because I don't think he was actually, like, medically allowed to prescribe me anything. Certainly not all of them all at once, <laughs> no, I wouldn't have that be a good plan. But I love that you took control and yeah. went, I want these, but I can imagine his face as you walked in with this binder going, I think he... everything in here, please. Yeah, yeah, I think he nearly had a heart attack. I'm shocked he didn't faint. Yes, yeah, so 
we tried some Daxafen, that didn't really work. We tried some carbamazepine, that didn't work. We tried Pazanidine, that didn't work. And you know what, Dana? My my hopes were kind of dwindling really rapidly. So I just got to a point where I said, okay, fine, enough is enough. I'm just going to accept it for what it is. And that is where we'll get to the light bulb moment. So you've gone to the doctors, you've tried loads of different medications, they haven't worked or at least not well enough. Yeah. What happens next? You've settled into, this is what I've got and I'm just going to have to learn how to live with it. How did you get from there to, I have dystonia? I was due a a checkup appointment just with my normal, so I went to St George's Hospital and essentially... I was sat there waiting and I said, okay, this time I'm really going to try and talk to them, see if they can prescribe them something again. And I went in and I was faced with all these students that didn't really look like they knew what they were doing. I think that they were PhD students at the time. And then it all became a lot more clear to me what was actually going on because a lovely lady named Dr. Francesca Morganti came bustling into the room little pocket rocket that she is and genuinely was like okay do all these tests I had to put my arms out I actually was like in really uncomfortable situations and really uncomfortable positions that made me cry because I'd be closing my eyes and I'd just be having like these muscle spasms that I call electric shocks I'd be having these electric shocks and and I'd just be crying because I knew that's exactly what she wanted to see. And it was so cathartic for me as well, because obviously I needed someone to see them as well, because I've been put on so many different things that weren't helping me. Okay, so hold on, go back a minute. So you had an appointment that you just booked to say, I need a checker. I want to know what else can help me. And you didn't know it was going to be with Francesca Maganti. Okay. So you've booked it. They've said you've got an appointment with a doctor. You've walked into a room and the room is full of student doctors and people that are going to learn before Francesca walked in. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't know at that point, and I'm saying this because obviously now you know Francesca Maganti quite well, and but you didn't know at that point that dystonia was even being talked about with you. The only place I'd heard about dystonia was from my research back when I was 16, 17, 18, trying to figure out what it was that I had. I suggested so many different names, things that I might that might be geared towards what I might have within my cerebral palsy. So like paroxysmal dyskinesia is not uncommon for like someone with cerebral palsy. And like within that research I understood a bit more about dystonia, but never ever came across anything that that stood out that said okay dystonia is the third most common movement disorder in the UK and let's all talk about it you know didn't find our website then our website says that <laughs> uh, <laughs> just just saying out there everybody yeah. that's listening our website says that um so you're you're in the room and for whatever reason something's clicked with you and you're liking the doctor that's talking to you and you're feeling seen keep going because that's where you left off sorry I interrupted briefly yeah anyways essentially she was doing all these tests and the, I, I kid you not the test on for about probably an hour and a half to two hours okay. it was a long assessment she really wanted to be thorough 
and I really appreciated how seen I felt because I'd never felt that way before and anyway so after that she straight up just says honey you don't have any cerebral palsy you have dystonia okay no cerebral palsy and that's where I came to a bit of a, a bit of a conflict because obviously cerebral palsy was something that I had identified with and had been with me and had been something that I lived with for my life for my entire life um and it's also there are many many crossovers as I've come to realize from all of my research since then between dystonia and cerebral palsy especially with generalized dystonia at birth um that that kind of can be cerebral as well but she said factually and so statement-like that it just brought out this completely like newfound energy and hope in me that maybe I could actually get somewhere with my research with what I wanted to find out about me about my identity anyway so she recommends all of these different treatments for me she says okay you need to look up dystonia uk dystonia europe i'm gonna put you on all this this medication if this one doesn't work then put you on this one there's loads of different treatments for you to try i was feeling so blessed by that point because i'd never ever faced anyone that was so sure about their diagnosis before in my whole life that's coming from someone whose mum had to sit with the doctors me at three years old and suggest that I might have something and that surety is exactly what I needed in my life and that's why I now a part of me is a lot more sure about who I am what my identity is so yeah so that's like the light bulb moment that's when everything switched for me and did you how did you feel about that that change almost in thinking of you'd always been somebody with cerebral palsy. That doesn't mean that's who you are. The same as you're not dystonia. You're someone that has dystonia, but it does create identity within you, whether you have a condition or not, the things that you grow up with shape you. So how was that for you being, Ooh, this is a whole new thing now. This is different, good or bad, but this is different. I find it really difficult to answer that because one part of me wants to say I was 100% fully on board with just jumping off the ship of cerebral palsy and just swimming over to, to the Sonia. Um, you use the best analogies. Because of the fact that I just felt like every everything, every symptom that's listed, every story that I heard, every person that I met, every like article that I read about dystonia just sat so right with me and I'd never ever like related or resonated with something so much but in this at the same time it's hard because I don't know if I have a full d- generalized dystonia or if that's tied into the cerebral palsy and I probably won't know until I get my genetic test testing results back which is another whole thing that I have to go through as well wrap your head round it's a lot yeah it's really new for me and I won't lie in saying that there is that sort of part of me that has grown up with cerebral palsy and even through my resentment I still accepted it 
I accepted the fact that I had cerebral palsy and I had lived with that for so long but it just became a part of me and it's so it's quite hard to just have that instant shift within you to be like from one to the other but to answer your question in short it was very easy for me to just say I have dystonia don't ask me why I think it probably does have something to do with the stigma surrounding cerebral palsy and the fact that I don't feel like I'm I don't want to say stigma because it's not even it's not even that it's just the fact that I'm I don't feel that my case is as severe as a lot of people that have cerebral palsy would be I feel like when I look at the people with dystonia because there's so many different aspects of dystonia that can affect different people in different ways and I feel that is exactly what I was meant to find why I resonate with it a lot more it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think part of that might be, and I'm just armchairing it here, but part of that might be because you so weren't happy growing up with a condition. And then this is a different condition. It's not for you, I would imagine. The resentment that you felt towards your condition as you were growing up isn't there with dystonia. You have a different relationship with it. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. And my relationship with cerebral palsy is so like deep deep rooted and it's definitely something that will always be there with me and I think that even talking to JP Jean-Pierre Lynn who is a really amazing doctor in Copenhagen that I met when I went out there for the conference where me and Dana met actually it was indeed (laughs) I'll tell that story in a minute because I think it's a fun story it's so fun he did an amazing talk on children that have got an undiagnosed dystonia that comes under the umbrella term of cerebral palsy. They are very interchangeable and I still can't let go of that part of me that has the CP. So yeah, so it's different. Yeah, for anyone wanting to know, we met at Dystonia Europe's conference in Copenhagen earlier this year and I had just come back from, I think, grabbing some water at a shop and I was stood talking to a colleague by the lifts And I had my Dystonia UK hoodie on because it was cold out, it was late. And somebody, this little ball of energy runs up to me, points at me and says, you're from Dystonia UK. And I looked up and I said, how did you guess? And Danny, as it turns out, said, it's on the hoodie. And I had been being slightly, I was trying to be funny and he completely missed my joke. I was just so excited, okay, James? You were a little excited, yes. Which is lovely, just slightly unexpected at sort of 10 o'clock at night in a hotel lobby. And I had forgotten that I had my hoodie on. I wear it fairly often. I find them really comfy up until the point that you ran at me. Uh, It may have been slightly, you know, fast walking. But at speed, very determined, which is, uh, I've come to realise how Danny does everything. But walks up to him and says with absolute conviction, you're from Estonia, UK. And I said, yes, I am. Do I know you? <laughs> to which point I didn't. But we did get talking about your story. And and I, I, it was intriguing for me. And I knew instantly I wanted you for a guest on the podcast. Because I think you have such an interesting relationship with the condition and with how you come to know about it and quite late as well because when we're talking about this diagnosis remind me when you were actually diagnosed with dystonia it wasn't that long ago right so it was april in 2020 and 
I literally, after that appointment with Francesca, she gave me a load of resources to go and look at. And I'm quite, when I get my head into something, I'm very proactive. I really like to be like in involved. I like to be in on the action. So I said to I said to my boyfriend, "There's this amazing conference that's going on in Copenhagen, and they have one everywhere in Europe every year." And it was such a shame because two years prior to that, it'd been in London, and I was like oh it's going to be a bit expensive to fly out there and we're only going to stay and he was like no we're going just a quick shout out to ash because he was amazing (laughs) ash is amazing he's a really lovely guy very supportive of you yeah yeah Yeah. and i'm really lucky to have that because um yeah i I learned a lot at that conference and not only did i meet the most amazing people yourself included um annoyingly (laughs) (laughs) nice but I also learned so much about the treatments that I could be offered I learned about the different types of support that there is the fact that I wasn't alone in it either and also the way that it affects people so differently from focal dystonia to cervical dystonia it can it's such a wide range and also People can develop it a lot later in life. I developed it early on set, a childbirth. So it was just a really amazing introduction to this condition that I'd never really heard of before. And I suppose that coming back around and bringing it full circle with the whole identity thing, the way that I approached dystonia with such like love and care and attention of, I really want this to like to work. I really want to find my my identity I want to find out how I can work with it rather than against it the way that I was introduced to dystonia was so special in Mm. in that regard because I had the conference because I had all these charities around me because I had the medication that was prescribed to me because I had the doctors that knew what they were talking about at the time and I'm so lucky that this is only going to get bigger and better from here on out because we have such amazing people like Dana doing what she does and like Dystonia Europe and also the fact that there's so much more awareness of it being a movement disorder that does affect people in so many different ways as well Mm. so yeah yeah. I mean, but certainly it's what we try and do and I think it's interesting isn't it because people would think um they hear the word conference and assume it's for older business people. And one of the things that we're doing with ours, Estonia Matters Live 2023, we're trying to bring the whole community together. And that's not just about the medical talks, but it's also about showing the camaraderie in the community. And Estonia around the world does the same thing and that we're trying to show that we can all come together. And the more we come together, the bigger noise we can make and the more our voices are amplified. And it isn't, it isn't, about your age because you can have dystonia as a child as a teenager as a young adult as an adult as an older person it can hit at any point in life the condition doesn't discriminate at all and we're trying very hard with various different ways to to show that and I think you are a prime example of why if you get involved and that's not for everybody you don't have to but if you can and you want to get involved you get something out of it as well yeah I really like what you said about the fact that like yeah 
myself personally i'm definitely attending dystonia matters live 2023 and the thing is that even though my introduction was to a conference yeah that can be pretty isolating for someone that can't sit through a long day's worth of just talks although that's how i operate and that's how some other people like to operate i think that having the accessibility of having some cool activities and networking opportunities and meeting new people and introductions to what it is everything all in all included together is such a nice rounded way of just yeah just really getting to grips with it all we can't wait to have you there i think we as all of the charities in the organizations do you learn lessons and obviously we know for our community it can be difficult to sit for many hours so we're looking at ways of which we can make the whole experience a little bit more fluid over a couple of days a little bit more relaxed but i think you're right it's about that community coming together and learning about the condition but that's almost a side benefit if you like the bit about being able to meet other people that have your condition whether it's the exact same presentation as your condition so obviously, as you mentioned, dystonia, all different types of presentations from neck dystonia to eye dystonia to single limb or more generalized. And I think actually that's one of the difficulties with the condition, because if you say dystonia to someone, if on the rare chance they know someone with dystonia, that doesn't mean they're going to know someone with your type of dystonia. And so they wouldn't necessarily recognize it. And that's if you find someone that knows what the condition is in the first place, right? It was really interesting actually that you say that because at this conference there was this lady that came up to me and said, Oh, what kind of dystonia do you have? And I said, Oh, I've got generalized, generalized myoclonus dystonia. I'm on this kind of medication for it. And she goes, Oh, you don't look like you have that. And that probably because she had a cervical dystonia, which is a completely different type of dystonia, comes with lot of different types of experiences and a lot of different types of battles and hurdles that she had to get over it meant she couldn't turn her head more than 90 degrees one way and she couldn't turn it at all the other way so it's it it is about finding that compassion within the community and understanding that everyone is going to have different experiences so yeah. massively massively different and I think if you have eye blepharospasm and you struggle to open your eyes that that as you say that comes with one set of hurdles and I think that it's difficult when you're in the middle of it to see people who have a different kind of dystonia and necessarily recognize that because you would have been concentrating on your kind of dystonia your type and if they don't have your type then it's almost a brand new condition even if you have the condition. And that's a really tricky part of dystonia and of having it is that the community is the most amazing community, but it's so varied in age, in type, in geographical location that it can be difficult to find people, if that makes sense. I think that comes back to what I was saying about Jean the doctor, when he did a talk, he did it on essentially the parallel to my dystonia. So he... Interesting. Little girl with generalized early onset dystonia who had it from birth and showed videos of her and her when she went to her dvs treatment and throughout that whole talk i won't lie to you i was a mess i was just sobbing because of the fact that was one of the dystonias that i 
genuinely from the bottom of, of my heart related to so deeply and something I'd never seen before and again coming back to the whole cerebral palsy thing I'd never seen it in anyone with cerebral palsy either and that was like why I became so emotional was because I realized okay this is something that that is me I'm not alone I maybe not don't have cerebral palsy but I've got this condition that I can explain now and that is really it's a wholesome feeling to have oh I remember you after that session it was emotional not in a bad way not in a bad way I think it's rare that we as a charity because we're a national charity but we're a small national charity so it's rare that we get to meet people face to face at the stage you were at and be able to physically be there to hold your hand. We can't do that. We would love to do it for everybody. It was an unusual set of circumstances, but from someone that works at the charity, your honesty and your ability to be there and to be facing the condition in the way that you were was awe-inspiring for me. And I came away from that. The whole organisation knew about you by the end because you were all I would talk about. It was a brilliant conference, but you were my highlight. Just because you had an interesting energy and you you were really fun to chat to, you and Ash both, and I could see ways of which your story could really help others. And as a storyteller for the charity, that for me is really important. So we have you in September's edition of Estonia Matters, the magazine. People can read your story there if they're not podcast aficionados. He doesn't know I also write a lot, so I was so excited to pass. You do write a lot. That's what you do for a living. You write, which is awesome. You can tell when you read when you read Danny's story. She writes far better than I do, which is great. No, I'll get you to write all of the stuff we put in anything now. That would be grand. If you could just do that for us. But I think there's many ways people can tell their story, and it's amazing how much sharing a story helps others but I guess my question for you is because now you've written in the magazine and you're coming on the podcast do you find sharing your story helps you oh it really it's nice to know that what that girl on that screen in that conference did for me and told me that I wasn't alone and made me so emotional because I was like, oh my God, there's this thing that I that someone else has in the world that I have. It's nice to know that, that I could do that to, to at least one other person in the whole world, in the whole of the UK. And I know that sounds very cliche. I know that probably sounds like something that a lot of other people would say that if I could help one other person in the whole world, like, like that's all that matters. But it's not a bad thing to want. And genuinely, when I say that, because... The way that I felt about when I realised that I wasn't alone was cathartic and full circle for me. That I really, it's not even about helping myself, it's about helping other people and helping other people understand that regardless of what your condition is, regardless of what kind of dystonia you have, relating to other people in different kinds of ways, you can help figure yourself out and help figure your own identity out even if you never ever meet anyone that's like you because you probably never will because everyone's so so different but yeah if you meet if you can take little bits from different people and realize that you're not alone then that's what I'm here for you know 
Oh, no, I think your story definitely will make people sit up and take notice. But I think it is, isn't it? I think you can find things in everybody's experiences if you're looking for it and if you're ready to hear it. And you're not always, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be all involved in the community just because you have dystonia, but it might be that your story helps someone and that that can never be a bad thing, I think. So I don't think it's cliche. I think it's a lovely thing to want. Yeah. I think there are many people that would say the same thing and that would also say that by hearing other people's stories, it helps them tell theirs. And I think that you spoke a little bit at the beginning of the podcast about stigma and not liking the word. And I think that the more we can talk about disabilities and conditions without that, just freely and openly about both the good and the bad that comes along with having a condition, the less there will be in the world but people have to tell their stories for that to happen and it's it can be hard to tell your story and you know what just to add to that point when I was younger and I was different from a lot of other people around me and my school had no one with with any kind of disabilities and no wheelchairs it was all special needs schools they still are there but since just standard state schools have become so much more progressive had I been in that kind of situation maybe I hadn't have felt the way that I did about my label maybe I did I wouldn't have felt the way that I did about oh I feel so ashamed about this because I promise you if you are a small 10 year old 12 year old 11 year old listening to this and you say oh I I wish I didn't have this or I wish I was different like I did when I was younger you will come to terms that you will come to accept who you are because it is so beautiful because we're so different everyone and I think that I think it's that they are a lot more fortunate than I was when I was younger because they have that kind of exposure to so much more they have exposure to the LGBTQ communities they've got the deaf societies they've got the disabled societies they've got everything now that is so much more accessible and so much more spoken about than it was even 10 years ago so yeah yeah I think the world has opened up a bit and funnily enough I think COVID has a lot to answer for but one of the things I think it it did was open up this sort of digital universe even more and for people with disabilities where travel can be difficult it allowed people to take part in things because everything suddenly went online and went digital and I think that we need to make sure that the world doesn't go back to as much as it's opened up and in person is fantastic we still as an organization we will absolutely still be doing webinars and podcasts and things so that however you feel comfortable being involved in this world there is an avenue or an outlet for you to either share your story or hear someone else's story. Um, and find out, it's not even about just stories, but find out information, go on the website and find out about the condition and ways of which you can then go into a doctor's appointment a little bit armed, a little bit ready, a little bit knowing what you're talking about, hopefully, and making sure that you are your own champion within your condition. But it's tough. Well said. Thank you. What would you say, I think your message to that little 10-year-old or 12-year-old is fantastic and I think you are so eloquent. What would you say to somebody who is like you are though, in your 20s, who 
perhaps isn't as at ease with themselves as you are, that is just, you're really new to this community. And yet to me, you seem really settled and at ease with yourself. And I think that's your journey. But what would you say to someone who is still searching for that? Okay, first of all, don't be scared. It's scary. It's scary. I know that for a fact because I was like, I, I grew up just feeling on edge because I didn't know. It will take time. It will t- take time for you to get to that point of, of not only just acceptance, but also a sort of, not to be cliche, but a form, form of self-love, a form of a, an ability to say, this isn't, this doesn't define me, but it's definitely a part of who I am. And once you get there, you'll be fine. That's fantastic. I love your answers to my questions. Very well said. We ask everyone a question on the podcast, which I'm going to ask you in a minute. But before I ask you that question, and if you were listening to last series, you'll know what that question is. But before I get there, tell us a bit about what's going on in your life at the moment. So you are working? Yes, I am a marketing assistant at an events company. We put on events all across the UK and... Yeah, I started at the beginning of this month. I just graduated from the University of Exeter in sociology, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And yeah, I'm just cruising along in the world of work now. It's kind of daunting, exciting, very financially stable, thank God. But yeah, I'm really enjoying myself and yeah. Awesome. So my question then, Danny, and we have asked every guest this series as well, is we call the podcast Dystonia Matters. If you listen to the podcast often, you'll hear me say it's because we think Dystonia Matters. So it's what the magazine is called and the events. Why should Dystonia Matter? Why does it matter to you? So why should Dystonia Matter? So Dystonia Matters to me because it's an integral part of who I am. And it matters to me because of the fact that I wouldn't be me without it. So that's why it matters to me. Why it should matter to the world is because it's so much more common than people realise. I think that once I actually read the magnitude of how many people have the the condition in some form, whether it be focal, whether it be cervical, whether it be generalised, whether it be eye, whether it be neck, whether it be anything, you know, even musicians can, can develop it. And... So the more we attract the, the awareness to what is what dystonia is, the more it could go a long way to answering a lot of people's questions as to why they might be feeling some way that they are. And they can create such an amazing, positive community for people that are just a bit scared of what's going on. Because I've spoken to so many people across the whole world I actually put like a little post up on a forum um, who didn't know what what they had for about three or four years. And that is a very, very scary thing to come across is just to be like, you know, either your jaw isn't working or your eye is twitching or something is, is going on and you have absolutely no idea. And that's because there's not enough light shed on dystonia. And that's why dystonia should matter for the whole world, not just to me. 
fabulous answer. Danny, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing it in Dystonia Matters as well. It is always an absolute joy to, for me to, to be able to sit and chat with you. And I think that people are going to really resonate with your story. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Dystonia Matters podcast. We hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you would like to know more about Dystonia UK, you can check out our website at www.dystonia.org.uk where you can find lots of useful information, webinars, animation, ways you can get involved and much, much more. All our guests agree that Dystonia matters, so we need to keep raising as much awareness as possible. You can help us by liking, subscribing and sharing this podcast and following us on all social medias at Dystonia UK. We are here for everyone living with dystonia. You are not alone. I'm your host, Dana Ferdinandi, and thank you once again for listening.